0: Welcome to Pharmacy Friends, a podcast dedicated to bringing you industry experts to the same virtual table to talk about what is happening in pharmacy today, what is coming in the future, and most importantly, what it means to you. What comes to mind when you hear the word pharmacist? Does your brain immediately take you to the person standing behind the counter at a pharmacy? I think before I worked at Magellan, that is where my brain would go. I knew there were other avenues that you could take if you were planning on pursuing a career in pharmacy, but I never realized just how many. October is American Pharmacist Month, and we would be remissed if we didn't take this opportunity to proudly promote the hundreds of pharmacists that make MagellanRx. This month, we're sharing episodes featuring pharmacists from across the organization, moderated by Jonathan Magnus, who not only is our Vice President of Medicare Part D Operations, but he also heads up our residency program. Whether you're considering a career in pharmacy or are just curious about what pharmacists do, this episode will answer your burning questions. Let's get into it.
1: Hi, I'm John Magnus, Vice President of Medicare Party Operations and the head of our residency program here at Magellan Rx. Welcome everybody dialing in today to our inaugural American Pharmacy Month podcast for Pharmacy and Friends sponsored by Magellan RX. Today for our first podcast, I'm happy to be joined by a close uh, peer and friend in, in the industry. I've known Alakai for uh, a few years now. Actually, I think I met Alakai when he was just a P3 at the uh, University of Idaho, and uh, he ended up becoming a, a Appy student of ours. And so I've been in Alakai's orbit for a few years now, and I couldn't be more thrilled to uh, have Alakai on the show today and introduce him as our first American Pharmacist
2: Month Yes. Thank you, John, for, for having me today, and it's a blessing and a huge uh, pleasure to, to be here. So my name is Alakai Montalbo. Um, I graduated from ISU College of Pharmacy uh, in 2021 and finished my managed care residency with, with John Magnus and Magellan Rx Management, um, ended in 2022, and now I'm a senior manager on our formulary strategy team um, at Magellan. And just a little purview of kind of what I do at at Magellan is um, on the medical benefit. What my my sole purpose is, I'm I'm a clinical expert, um, and I just help our clients um, understand what's going on in the different disease states, the different market shares buckets, and I help them understand new drugs that come to market, what's going on with the existing, and really help them try to maximize their spending, as well as make sure that what they're using is most efficacious and the safest for their patients. So I I get to work with our clinical teams. I get to work with our account managers, also our our specialty programs. And overall, we just are trying to provide the best benefit and, and value to our clients, our health plans.
1: That's awesome. And that's actually uh, about where I wanted to start unpacking something. So you mentioned a lot of, of really cool information about what you do in, in your role. And I'll start off in, in our American Pharmacist Month series for our pharmacy friends uh, podcast series, we're going to be focusing a lot on these non-traditional pharmacist roles. You know, this isn't something I, th- I think when when most people think of pharmacy and pharmacists, they, they they think of you know that traditional, you know, person man or woman standing behind the counter at your local pharmacy in a grocery store somewhere at the local, you know, big box chain corner store, um, you know, dispensing medications and, and providing clinical clinical knowledge on a one-to-one basis to their patients as they come up to the counter. But at Magellan and other managed care industry type of type of pharmacy places, we've got some very unique roles. I really want to dive into uh, some of these unique roles and some of the things you've you've already started talking about. Alakai are some of the things that I'm hoping we can we can start exploring a little bit um, and getting out there, just sort of the cool, unique things that pharmacists do outside of that traditional community and and maybe hospital type type of roles. Uh, so, with that, let, let's start at the beginning. Can you go into a little more? You mentioned Idaho State Pharmacy School. Um, can you, can you go into, I guess, what got you started into pharmacy in the first place? What piqued your interest? Why did you, why did you go into pharmacy?
2: Yeah. So, you know, it's so funny um, because growing up, um, I was a very big student athlete, very big into sports and I would always go to the gym. And I remember in middle school, I was at the gym and um, they had this, this supplement on the counter. It was called pyruvate. And as we all know from the Krebs cycle, pyruvate is a part of that. And I remember going to biology class and learning about the Krebs cycle and just being so astonished, wow, you can bottle pyruvate? Obviously you can't, um, you know, and looking back, you know, obviously I realized that, you know, there is a lot of quackery in in terms with supplements, but it sparked this interest of wanting to understand how medications, how supplements, how things work in the body. And as I went through my educational journey um, in college, I gravitated towards pharmacy, and it led me to starting this incredible experience at ISU. Um, You know, I tried to work really hard at ISU, and we had lots of luau's um, before test days on Friday, Thursday night potlucks, and we just had a good time in, in pharmacy school. And when I first started pharmacy school, I will never forget um, going through orientation. And one of the pharmacists, one of the uh, faculty members asking us, where do you find a pharmacist? And we all gave the, the usual answer, you know, oh, in Walgreens or at a hospital, teaching at a school. But then he started to go into all these different other opportunities like nuclear, poison control, managed care. These are just three examples of, of a non-traditional route. And it really sparked my interest of where do I fit in pharmacy? And I kind of went on this journey and I started really looking at how, how do I look at these different opportunities? Because I kind of look at, you know, a pharmacy degree as this opportunity in terms of like a gateway, in terms of you can do so many mm-hmm. different things in pharmacy. So where do you find your fit? And that's when I started networking. I started reaching out to to different people. Actually, I'll never forget the first time I spoke with you, John. I remember a good friend of ours, Neil Catalano, him saying, hey, you need to meet John Magnus. And so
1: what, so what is is this? Is is this what drove you to managed care specifically? Because that, that's a really unique, unique area within pharmacy. I mean, what 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 stood out about managed care? What was it Neil? What makes you weird, right? Like I, I know just speaking right. from my pharmacy school experience and, and not to bag on, on my college of pharmacy or your call, really any college of pharmacy, but the general sense that I get from our industry is that colleges of pharmacy generally don't teach non-traditional roles very well, namely managed care. My program, I think we have one class lecture and we did have an AMCP chapter for managed care, but it was, it was actually quite honestly poorly attended. What, I, I don't know how, how ISU has done it, but generally speaking, pharmacy programs don't introduce things like managed care. What made you weird that you all of a sudden decided to seek out
2: managed care as a possible career? So what what really piqued my interest, John, is every time we go through a module where we learned about a different disease state, we'd always have this slide, we always have this part of the lecture series where we would talk about new drugs that were coming to the market. And a question I always had, and I'd ask my professors, the faculty, where do you think this drug fits in the current guidelines? And a lot of them would say to me, well, you know, you got to look at cost, you got to look at different things, but a lot of them would just say, I don't know. And so the question I always had is, we know that in pharmacy, guidelines are constantly changing, drugs are constantly getting reintroduced into the market, not reintroduced, excuse me, just introduced into the market. What do you do with them? I just went to Idaho uh, Hospital Pharmacy Association meeting up in Sun Valley, and there was a presentation on Corendia. and at, after the person presented, I asked them, where would you put this in the guidelines? And she looked at me like, what do you mean? Where where would I put it? Like, I, I'm not sure where. And then she turned the question on me and asked me, well, where would you put it? And so, you know, going back to what you said, I think there needs to be a a real world quote-unquote efficacy of new drug comes out where do you put it and what do you specifically look at I don't think that enough pharmacy schools focus on that information and that is such an important factor and that ultimately is what has led me to managed care is what do you do with this drug looking at efficacy looking at cost and looking at how it's being administered
1: yeah that's that's a that's a great story and i I hear that that similar type of feedback from students and residents as they you know apply to our program and, and interview is is it's it's pretty clear that our industry is very good. At, our industry, meaning pharmacy, is very good at looking at <clears throat> drugs from a clinical perspective. A clinical value. We even, we'll even call it that. What does this drug do? What does this drug provide value for our patients for from a clinical perspective? But a lot of the residents when, when they're coming and in interviewing say, I, I was drawn to managed care because nobody really talks about the financial value. What does this drug bring to the market? Meaning we have to talk about clinical, right? Because these drugs, they wouldn't get approved from the FDA unless there was some form of of clinical value. And now there's a couple recent examples um, where maybe that's not the case. But generally speaking, the FDA wouldn't approve a, a new molecule molecule if it didn't bring clinical value. Now it's really whose job is it to determine what type of financial value does that does that come into? So I, I hear that that story a lot about that inquisitive nature that a pharmacist I think generally have trying to close that loop, the, the yeah, but yeah, this new drug came out. Yeah, but how much does that cost? And is it really right. worth that value to our market? And I think that's where that's one of the things that managed care pharmacy really, really is is important. And I would argue to the colleges of pharmacies that, that aren't really teaching this or, or I guess are ill prepared to teach it. Maybe they want to and they just don't know, don't have the expertise to do it yet. Is, is, you know, managed care, you know, working for payers, working for industry, working for PBMs, especially, has, I feel like, been a little bit frowned upon in, in the, the colleges of pharmacy, in several colleges of pharmacies. Um, but my argument is, is, don't you want a seat at that table? Shouldn't pharmacists have a seat at that table to be able to have those conversations, to be taught, to be able to say, well, here's the clinical value and the financial value and a D is poised appropriately to, to have those conversations. And if we steer students away from the managed care topics and not teach them how to think of value both clinically and financially, that someone else is gonna have that conversation without us. Right. And if yeah. we're on a table talking to the stakeholders, talking to the industry, then pharmacy sort of left out of the loop. And I, I don't think anybody wants to argue that pharmacy should be left out
2: of that loop. Oh, I, I, I agree. You know, one of my favorite quotes um, that I use all the time from Dr. Koop, um, U.S. Uh, Surgeon General, um, you know, drugs don't work in patients who don't take them. Well, I always love adding to that. Also, who can't afford them? That has to be in right. the conversation. And who better than a pharmacist to be able to lead that conversation? I agree.
1: Exactly. So I, I want to go back, um, you know, get, getting on a little bit of tangent. So Alakai and I talk about this stuff, you know, just, you know, <laughs> on an everyday basis because we're geeks like that, right? So I knew exactly <laughs> what Alakai was going to say there. But I want to go back a little bit. I, I interrupted you on on your journey. You were talking about. Getting into pharmacy school, having your cool luau's, really forming this, this, this close-knit pharmacy, pharmacy group. And then you started to dive into that, that managed care story. Um, you started talking about our 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 peer and close friend Neil Catalano. And then I, I sort of cut you off. What finish that thought? What what ended up happening once you met Neil? What was that sort of impetus when you spoke with Neil to be like, hey, actually, this is something I, I feel like I need to go research some more for for a career
2: opportunity yeah so after i got to know neil and i actually ended up attending a managed care day in seattle and uh, met emily chiasso Um, and once i went to that managed care day in seattle and i really got to understand and this was this was at a 3 this is when i started to really understand This is where I see myself, because that perfect blend between understanding drugs efficacy. And then understanding cost. And then I always like looking at it from that other lens of, okay, well, what do you do with it now? And what I mean by that, like, what do you do with it is that is such a loaded question, because you start looking at different things like, for example, you know. If this drug is oral, if this drug can be self-administered, if it has to be done in an infusion center, you start looking at all these different aspects that make that drug as complicated or as not complicated as possible. And how do we manage that? How do we provide that value to that patient that's taking that drug? How do we make their life easier? How do we, you know, lessen the burden for them?
1: Exactly. And so after, it sounds like even
2: more, even more things to talk about when we talk about what's the value. Yeah. And oh, so oh. exactly. And once I started really diving into that and really starting to like, see that I could make an impact at that type of level, not just to a one patient, but to an entire population. And also having a seat at that table, discussing this with upper management, discussing this with health plan leadership, that's where I knew I wanted to be. And that's really what led me to reach out to you, John, to, to do an app, Is I wanted to learn more and I wanted to dive in. That's
1: awesome. And I, I will say, you don't. Know, I, I get
2: phone calls from students
1: and emails and LinkedIn requests from students all the time. And when Alakai first reached out to me, um, of course, it was through the, this gentleman named, named Neil that we both know um, made this connection, and immediately I I, I found Alakai to be so um, charismatic. Actually, it's probably a good word. And it, it just on our first introduction phone call, he had my cell phone. He gave me a call. We you know let's talk about how we set up this app and what your expectations are, what my expectations are. And uh, Alakai's, I guess, credit somehow we ended up on this tangent and like spoke for probably a whole hour, and I really found myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's as embarrassing. Yeah. Like basically giving him a whole managed care 101 lecture. And it, it, it wasn't until like an hour of, of just, and it wasn't a lecture, it was a back and forth conversation about, you know, how managed care works and and what, what he thinks, what Alki thinks, you know, managed care should do in our industry um and it was a super dynamic conversation. and after about an hour I caught myself and I realized dude this isn't even my student yet this is this is just some <laughs> random p3 I've just met and we're already talking about you know some really deep dive stuff dir fees and clawbacks and rebating and some of these really cool topics that we might get into later um but uh to Alki's credit that was that was really the start of our relationship and I found that Alki had a uh, had a very dynamic, um, warm personality, and of course, how could I say no to a dude like that who wanted to come and and spend a you know six week
2: rotation with us? Well, I I, I thank you, John, but really, it's Magellan and it's people like you that you know we're lucky to have, and I, I'm I was very blessed and lucky to do that appy, and not only that, but then to be a part of the residency program.
1: Yeah, I wanted I wanted to follow up I'm, I'm glad you said that, follow up with the residency program. I I think that now that you know we're we're in October, which is just shocking to me, um, but we're about to go to AMCP Nexus showcase in the, you know, in December, we're gonna go to ASHP residency showcase in, in Las Vegas. I I would I would assume that there's probably some either resident or resident candidates that might be listening to this call. What advice would you give to them as they are specifically for managed care residency,
2: as they are looking for places to apply to for a potential PGY1? The one thing that is so important to me is is culture, is fit. And it's, it's understanding that as a student, you're working with these people every day for the next year. And you want to be around people that are going to be in your corner and are going to fight for you. But not only that, you want to be around people that are going to take an active interest in your career and help you develop. And the one thing that as I went through that whole entire residency process, that's the one thing that I kept coming back to Magellan on was all of the programs will provide fantastic managed care education guidance. The one thing that stood out to me and meant the most to me was that Ohana, right? That family, that spirit. Right. And that's what Magellan has. You know, I will never forget. And I mean, I probably shared this story a hundred times and I apologize for anyone listening that's already heard it, but it was literally day one. And I had reached out to our residency program director, Sarah, I said, hey, sir, I'm interested in specialty. And I'm not even joking. You Literally, the next day, I had a meeting with Seamus McGuire. And he is one of our VPs on the specialty side. And from there, that's how my relationship started with specialty. And that's ultimately what started this whole entire process of me now working for specialty pharmacy on the medical benefit. And, And that, to me, is what... As a resident, and even as a student, you're looking for people that are going to take active interest in your career. And they are going to, when you, when you say, hey, I'm interested in this, they're gonna help you find that. And they're going to put you in an opportunity to be successful. Ask questions of the current residents, talk to them, pay attention to their, to their demeanor. As you go to Nexus, as you talk to them over these next few months, Look at them. Talk to them. See how they're doing.
1: Right. Look in their eyes. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. And, and um, just even having that conversation with the current residents, um, that's that's something I've i told students is look at the residents' eyes, and, and as as they're as they're talking to you about their program, does it do you get the sense they're selling you a bag of goods? When you look in their eyes, they look like they're <laughs> being killed to death, like being slowly murdered. By the, you know the work that they do, residencies. Residencies are hard, but what makes them even more hard is is when you're unsupported during that residency. Right, and it's not to say our residency is easy by any means. I think we have a very uh, a challenging residency. I think it's that's one of the unique things about it. Uh, and checks in the mail. Thank you for the compliments on on uh, promoting <laughs> our residency during you know right before AMCP Nexus. So this is this is perfect. But uh, yeah, no, there's. No, no.
2: Not to interrupt you here, John, but I I just want to say just one thing real quick. Magellan's managed care residency program is is the best residency program in the nation.
1: (laughs) And you're not biased at all.
2: (laughs) I'm not. I'm not biased at all. I just
1: yeah,
2: you know, you guys put your residents in an opportunity to succeed, and you are constantly caring about their their self-well-being, their worth. And the one thing that I love at Magellan that you just can't replace is you are a valued member of the team. I can't tell you how many different projects I was on where I literally was the only pharmacist on that team. And people would look at me and say, okay, you're the clinical expert. What's your opinion? And you're like, whoa, like I, I just passed a NAPLEX like a month ago you know, like (laughs) I'm a resident, you know, but they look to you with that value and you quickly realize that people care what your input is. And it's huge. Last question around the residency, and then we'll move on to a
1: different topic. Um, It does appear that the number of graduating pharmacists or even pharmacists who want to move into managed care, um, you know, a couple years into their PharmD careers, It does appear that the interest in managed care jobs in general is um, is exploding. Uh, I know every time we post a job for for a a pharmacist type of type of a a job. um, We get uh, just all sorts of applications from people who are both qualified. And unfortunately, I'll be honest, wholly unqualified. Um, When we post for the residency programs, we get hundreds of applicants. And that's untenable. Obviously, we can't hire that many people. But a question that I do get uh, a lot of times is coming from residents who don't match with us is, oh, I didn't match with any managed care residency. Am I like, is this the dead end? Uh, is there any way of getting into managed care? Help me understand what my next step is. Do you see that at all? Have you thought of that? What would have happened if you didn't get the, the residency? Or have you, have, have you talked with anybody who hasn't gotten a managed care residency and sort of coached them still getting into managed care? Are there opportunities in managed care for those pharmacists who don't have residencies?
2: Yes. Um, to answer your question, you know, there are opportunities. And the one thing that like, basically no one can take away from you is your ability to network and your tenacity to fight for something that you want. Yeah. You know, um something that kind of caught me off guard is you know one of my coworkers he didn't do a residency in managed care and he literally applied for that position and in his interview they even said hey you don't have any experience in managed care and what he said to them is yeah i don't but i i'm a fast learner and i want to be here and i'll show i i can prove my worth and right now you know Sometimes, like they always say, in terms of working at a hospital, you have to have a residency to work in a hospital. I've heard that over the last four years, I can't tell you how many times. Well, guess what? You know how many friends I have working in a hospital that didn't do a managed care re- or didn't do a hospital residency? Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Yep. A lot. And if there's a need, and you're there, and you're constantly reaching out, you're constantly growing those opportunities are going to open up not only that but as you do your current roles and as you get a job let's say in retail understanding the pricing understanding what you can control that is aspects of managed care put yourself in a position to be a part of P&T if you do end up working at a hospital outpatient or working at a hospital in general or it, it, when it comes to pricing for retail Keep track of, you know, the ordering, understanding the dynamics between WAC and wholesale acquisition costs, right? Understanding what the wholesale acquisition cost is and looking at your acquisition, you know, looking at the differences there, you know, pay attention to things like that, you know, and honestly, constantly keeping up with new and upcoming drugs, that's going to set you apart. That's always been my advice to people. And if I w- didn't get a job or didn't get a residency in managed care. I still would have applied to managed care jobs because I knew that's where I wanted to be. I still would have just pushed and, and looked for opportunities.
1: Yeah. No harm, no foul. Right. Why? Yeah. What does it hurt when you apply and someone says, no, I know, I know sometimes hearing no hurts, but all it takes is one. Yes. And then yeah. you have a whole new door, a new opportunity opens up. So I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think there's plenty of opportunity in pharmacy outside of the traditional areas if people if pharmacists and students um, push themselves a little bit and don't just think that they're only qualified to do one thing. I, I think that uh, I think they're actually qualified to do a lot of things if they just push themselves to understand what that what that thing is. Operationally speaking, I, I've seen a lot of a lot of pharmacists enter the managed care area in a couple different ways. Like there's pharmacists that, staff, all of our clinical programs, um, the MTM type things, adherence type programs. So what might come as a shock to some is, is uh, a lot of payers and, and PBMs and managed care groups um, employ a lot of clinical pharmacists to reach out to, yeah. to, their, to their patients and, and have adherence counseling sessions and have full on MTM where you're talking to a patient about their, their you know, bucket of medications sometimes for a half hour if not longer sometimes and, and uh, there's so there's a lot of clinical need for having that farm d that pharmacist in in the roster those pharmacists because those teams are so large sometimes making you know outbound phone calls quite honestly most of those pharmacists aren't residency trained and that's certainly not not a dig on them that's a great place for pharmacists to to start in managed care that's where i got my start was on an mtm team to be completely honest right yeah the other place and, I see is, is prior authorizations. you know what people don't understand when a prior authorization is needed for a um, for a medication it's rejected the pharmacy right those come to pharmacists. those rejections yeah. when the physician submits that PA form or a request for a uh, formulary exception or whatever it might be, <clears throat> generally speaking it's the pharmacist that's making that determination on whether it's approved or, or denied. Uh, a lot of those pharmacists, not, say, classically trained, residency trained type, type pharmacists. They are, they are pharmacists that applied for a job, and that's how they got into managed care. And a lot of them actually end up growing from there and end up in the ranks of management
2: and beyond in many cases. Yeah, you bring up a really good point, John, about the whole PA process. And, you know, something I always talk to students about is as you're doing your rotations in a retail, when a PA does pop up, why did it pop up? Maybe you start asking yourself the question, well, why would they, why would they want you to try a different drug versus this drug that comes to And another thing also is January 1st when insurance is reset and you get thousands of complaints and thousands of issues in the pharmacy become that subject matter expert on Medicare so that you can explain to your patients, Hey, what's going on? And I remember as an APU student with you guys, um, you know, chapter uh, 13, mm-hmm. um, CMS, and, you know, I remember um, reading part of that, and um, as dry as law can be, yeah, it's also very fascinating because those are the rules that govern Medicare, and if you yeah. understand it, you become very dangerous. Yeah.
0: Yeah,
1: very valuable as well. Yes. Okay, well, let's go ahead and switch topics a little bit, Get, getting away from really truly managed care and residency um, type of topics. And I, I want to ask you a more of a broad type of a question. Uh, th- the question is, is more about the role of the pharmacist and, and how a pharmacist uh, plays a part in the journey of a patient's health care. Now that you know what you've known, you know, I think patients, again, think of a pharmacist as, as a person behind the counter at their local grocery store pharmacy. But now that you you know and, and you're on the other side of that and you understand that there's so much more to that, can you elaborate and give people sort of a sense of really what do pharmacists do?
2: It's a loaded question. We could probably spend three yeah. hours. On yeah, I <laughs> know. Exactly. <laughs> no, that's a that's a really good question because... You know, you can almost like it's so funny because, like I said, I just went up to Idaho um, Pharmacist Association conference, and even pharmacists would come up to me and ask me, "What do you do?" And, but to even right. go broader, even to go even broader beyond that, um, you know, the role that pharmacists play in healthcare—they um, are, you know, drug medication experts. And what you're seeing and what things are happening now in hospitals is there is a pharmacist on every single level of hospital because of the value that a pharmacist plays in that hospital system. And, you know, I kind of want to tie it a little bit of managed care just because, you know, in hospitals, they have rules for Medicare that are tied around joint commission, right, Jayco? Pharmacists help these hospital systems with those different regulations, with those different things to accomplish those, those, those goals that they have for different guidelines. Um, I think a big example would be, you know, heart failure guidelines. Um, I've seen a lot of hospital systems introduce a pharmacist on that floor where they specifically look at the different measurements and make sure that a patient has all that documented. So you're seeing a pharmacist play this huge role in medication selection. You're also seeing them play a role in, you know, better adherence rates, increasing star values. I I just, pharmacists play a role in so many different ways than just being a part of the retail chain. And it's not going to stop because as physicians have seen the value of a pharmacist, it's now more of a you know, a peer-to-peer conversation of, hey, what do you think about this medication? You're seeing that start to happen, and you're seeing that role drastically change. And it's it's really nice to see physicians value, you know, that degree that a pharmacist holds.
1: Yeah, it feels like we've been fighting for that value for some time, right? And so it's nice to see maybe some of that tide is turning, and people can recognize us for what we're worth, which I, I agree is the drug expert, the medication expert. Um but let me let me tie it down a little bit a little bit closer to home. Can you you know and maybe some background here is is I, I'm still not certain even my close family and friends know what it is that I do. I'm a pharmacist, I work for a managed care corporation. So when I try and explain what I do, a lot of them are like, oh so you went to pharmacy school, you're not even a pharmacist anymore. Right. So it's sort of this catch 22 is, is I got in this really pretty cool role. No, I'm not that traditional pharmacist anymore. Do I use my PharmD? Oh my gosh, every single day. Right. So, no, I didn't waste years in pharmacy school and, you know, six figures worth of student loans just to sit by. <laughs> and sit. So, right. I'll, I'll turn the question on, on you and, and maybe you can help simplify uh, for both of us. <clears throat> if I were to ask you, explain in your role that you're, you're right now, can you explain a little bit, how do you impact our members, our customers, our patients? What role do you play in their healthcare journey?
2: Yeah, no, abs- absolutely. Uh, you know, it's just echoing on what you were saying earlier, John, they always ask me, how do you count pills at your house from your desk? And it's like, <laughs> <Right>? I, <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> you, what a waste you know, of I, a
1: career, man do all
2: this school and now you're sitting behind a desk you didn't even talk to right people. <laughs> right um you know I, I kind of touched on just a little bit about new drug comes to market what do you do with it um right. yep. that plays a huge role um in terms of what I like to call different market baskets right so you look at different disease states different drugs that are in a disease state so and and, and A brief example, and I'm sorry to bore people on this, but, you know, we'll just take infliximab, which is a really good category. There are biosimilars that are in the infliximab category. And so something that I do is looking at that that market basket and really focusing on what are the differences between those different drugs and how do those differences affect our members? And I take that information and I work with our health plans to bring the best benefit to them, which in return brings the best benefit to our patients. And as new drugs get introduced into that category, how does that affect it? Because at the end of the day, like we talked about, patients don't, like medication does not work in patients who don't take them and who can't afford them. Right. If my patient cannot afford this medication, there has to be an alternative has to be a program there has to be a way to make sure that our patients are having the mo- most efficacious and the safest medication possible and that's the role that i play with our customers which then in return goes all the way to our members making sure that every single one of our members is taking a medication that's the safest the most efficacious and you're obviously looking at things in different baskets and you're paying attention to the way they're being administered. Like for example, can that drug be taken at home? Is that a self-administered drug? Is it not? Is that home infusion or is that hospital outpatient? Where are they taking this drug? How do we make this better for the patient? How do we bring the most value to them?
1: That's helpful. And again, it's it's important to note that it's pharmacists that that are doing this work, right? It's that balance of clinical knowledge and, some financial value too, that, that, that I think yeah. the pharmacist can bring the patient can't afford their drug. They're not going to take it. If the patient can't make it to a specific, you know, if, if they have to leave the house and go make it somewhere, what if they're in a medical desert or a pharmacy desert, meaning there's yeah. just not access to stuff. Those are things that really, you know, the, these are things that we talk about on the national level. Pharmacists are helping to solve some of those controversies. And I think you're, already, you're sitting in a great spot to say you're helping to solve some of those debates and solve some of those issues that we're talking about on a national level. And you're a pharmacist and that's your job. That's that's pretty cool. Taking another little bit of a step back here, I, I, I sort of wanted to, you know, tie some of the things we've talked about together. And, and last couple couple of questions I wanted to get to. Um, before we wrap up, uh, I, I think are a little more hypothetical, maybe fun type of questions. If you had a crystal ball and you could look into the future, what do you think the future of pharmacy, not just managed care pharmacy, not community farm, ph- just pharmacy? What do you think the future of pharmacy looks like for, say, 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, what, whatever duration you want to look down?
2: Oh, good, good question. Um... And obviously, coming from Idaho, where we have the most progressive laws, pharmacy laws in the nation.
1: Yeah, pretty cool. By the way, I just learned that. That's that's. I
2: uh, cool. I really believe that the direction that pharmacy go is going is is in that route, in terms of pharmacists will be more involved than just handing someone a prescription. And it's already happening right now through collaborative practice agreements. Uh, through opportunities, and like you were talking about before in those pharmacy desert areas, you know, there is a need to provide better health care in, in rural areas. And so, obviously, this model or this idea that I'm, I'm speaking of isn't going to work in every single city. But where there is a need, pharmacists, like you said, are helping to provide that solution, and so where I think the future of pharmacy is, you know, I, I believe that we will start seeing, you know, some of these sub-Q injection drugs, you know, go from a, a medical office to being done in a, in, a, in a pharmacy, seeing pharmacists, you know, be a part of that role, providing that benefit to the patient. Um, I just... You know, we're seeing these $70,000 signing bonuses for retail pharmacy. That's right. all anyone can ever right. talk about. Um, but to me, that's the real need of a pharmacist. That need is not going away. And I don't know how it is for the Utah schools, but our admission rate for pharmacy school is down in Idaho drastically. Yeah. And we- I would bet... I would, bet, I would bet nationally it's down a lot, which means the need of a pharmacist is only going to increase. And, you know, as, as new opportunities arise, I think new, new business models are going to come about. And not only that, I think old business models are either going to phase out or they're just going to adapt and change to provide other levels of, of care in a retail setting.
1: Yeah, I agree. I look forward to some of those changes too. I think there's things that, you know, pie in the sky type conversations that our industry has been having for, quite honestly, almost two decades. It feels like, and I want to say that we're on the cusp of some of these some of these big important changes into our our model of practice. Um, I agree. And. I do, you know, looking at some of the things that Idaho has done, that's exciting. And if they're going to be the the so-called, I guess, thought leaders for pharmacy around the nation, I I would welcome that. I think our industry, quite honestly, in my opinion, should welcome that sort of that sort of um, responsibility. Yeah. We've been asking for it. Pharmacy has been asking for this type of responsibility really for about probably two decades.
2: Um, so if this is the start of that, bring it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's. I think it's only going to get bigger and, and better from here for the future of pharmacy. Yeah, I, I
1: agree. Of course, change always comes with a little bit of discomfort. So I would imagine, Absolutely. you know, we'll, we'll hear about, you know, there's always two sides to that coin. And anytime we're changing, um, there's a great book called who moved my cheese. And I think about that uh, here in um, here in the world of pharmacy. I, I think that, uh, pharmacists is is one of the, the, the best things I think we can do as pharmacists is be ready to think about pharmacy in a new light. The traditional models of pharmacy, we've been asking for change to the traditional models of pharmacy for quite some time now. Um, we could end up being our own worst enemies if we also fight it when we start noticing that there are changes to our traditional models of pharmacy.
2: So yeah. And and I think, um, you know, something that I find also very interesting, I don't like the way that currently students and even pharmacists look at retail pharmacy. Like they look at it like, oh, yeah, I work retail. There's nothing wrong with working retail. I love it. I did it for 16 years. It was one of my all-time favorite jobs was working retail. Retail is, you know, that's the backbone of, of most of my classmates, they all work retail. And, you know, there's this negative look in College of Pharmacies across the nation. Like if you work retail, it's like you settled. And that needs to change. That narrative to me needs to change. We need to be celebrating these opportunities. And if there are problems in a retail setting, those need to be addressed either at your board of pharmacy state level or, or other places, because it just makes me sad to see so many people Go into retail, and then you ask them how they're doing. They're like, "Oh, well, you know, I work retail." There's nothing wrong with that. You should celebrate where you work, and you should be happy. It's a great profession. It is a great profession. Um, okay, final question for you.
1: Assuming there's there's probably some non pharmacists that have dialed into this and, and are listening, I, I'll, I'll ask you directly. What is one thing you want the general public to know about pharmacists?
2: Oh, good question. Um, I think the one thing that I wish more people understood and more people knew was that a pharmacist is a medication expert. And if you have questions on your medication, you should feel comfortable and you should know that you can go to them and they'll help provide that value to you. You know, At the end of the day, we want to help our patients, We want them to be on the best medication, the most efficacious and the most cost effective. And we want to make sure that they're taking advantage of all the opportunities that are available to them. And that to me, I I want more people to know that, that if you can't afford your medication, there are so many programs out there. And talk to a pharmacist to help you navigate those opportunities. You know create that open dialogue with them. Um, you know, pharmacists is one of the most trustworthy professions. They're there to help. We're there to help, I guess I sh- you should say.
1: Absolutely. Well, this has been a very, I think, productive and eye-opening conversation, Alakai, and I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy se- schedule to hang out with me for a while and, and answer some of my hypothetical and and maybe um, crazy questions about your background and what got you interested into managed care. Uh, I, I hope it was it was worthwhile for you to come and join us and, and have this have this conversation. And hope we can actually do it do it again some other time. Um, i thank you, Pharmacy Friends, for tuning in to our first uh, Pharmacy Month Pharmacy Friends podcast from Magellan. Uh, and of course, next time you're in the store, or the grocery store, or next time you have a question for your pharmacy, pharmacists, uh, like Alakai mentioned, please remember to go ask them the question. They're there to educate you and support you in your healthcare care journey. Um, but also, don't forget to thank a pharmacist next time you see them. We love working with patients. We hope patients love working with us. With that... Thank you all for tuning in. Um, I look forward to uh, continue conversations on the upcoming weeks for our pharmacy friends podcast. Um, Enjoy your week. We'll see you around.
0: Thank you to John and Alakai for giving us an incredible episode. I don't know about you, but I learned so much from these two, not just about managed care and the many different avenues that you can take throughout your pharmacy career, but what great insights on how pharmacists fit into the healthcare system overall. Don't forget to thank your pharmacist this month and quite honestly, every month. And let's be friends. Rate this podcast five stars and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll talk to you next time.